Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Alright everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We're glad you're joining us. Seth, yes. how are you today, man? I'm just fine. Yeah? I'm just great. You're just great? Your week's kind of shot because your flight got delayed. I did. You were Tornadoes in. in St. Louis. Oh, that's and, no fun. But I, it was great because I was the reason why I took that flight was to get to my daughter's first like award ceremony. Oh, yeah? Where she won these awards. For, for like karate? For um, catechesis <laughs> and memorization. So what? she memorized 26 Bible verses and 50 oh, catechism questions. That's amazing. I know. In kindergarten. I was very proud of her. You anyway, I was like, I, can't, I need to be there for my daughter's thing. So I'm like explaining this to the person yeah. at the airline counter. And she's like, I can't get you there tonight. So I was like, okay, what about tomorrow morning? She's like, nothing gets you there before 10.30, which is when it started. When it was. And so I was like, okay, is there anything that gets me there before that, she's like, well, there's one flight at 5.30 in the morning. Oh. You fly to Houston, and then oh. you fly to Oklahoma City. And I was like, that's the same distance. Like, from here to Oklahoma City is the same distance from here to Houston. Anyway, it was a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, the flight was delayed again. In the morning? I, in the morning. Oh. <laughs> I get on the flight. I drive as fast as I can to the school. I run into the school just in time for her to receive her last reward. Made it. <laughs> yeah. It was oh, great. Oh, that's intense. It was great. Well... We're glad you're here. I'm I'm here to talk and about the higher standard of holiness required of priests, yes, and others. So, what what what's got us up to this point? We've we've so far we've had the table of contents at the very beginning of Leviticus, which outlined all the different types of sacrifices, right? And then we had rules for the priests, which were like the footnotes uh, for the sacrifices, saying how to administer them. Uh, and then after that, I like how you say the footnotes. It's like it's, like, it's what nobody really wants to read. <laughs> I know. Well, I think it's funny that I'm saying footnotes because it's like, wait, there's no footnotes in the table of contents. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. But anyway, <laughs> my metaphor breaks down pretty quickly. Uh, and then what came after that is uh, what was it? The oh, clean and unclean stuff, right? Yeah, yep. that's right. Clean and unclean, purification, leprosy, and then we had Dave atonement. Uh, and then after that, now we've been in this law section for a while. That's right. And we first had uh, mainly private laws that were about morality, about interpersonal relationships, about the home life, uh, and it was for everyone in Israel to follow. And now there's a shift. So in chapter 21, the first verse, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests. The sons of Aaron. Right. And up to this point, he's been saying, say to the people. Yeah, and now he's saying say say to the priests, and so he, your your audience is different now. Yeah, so this is talking essentially about a higher standard of behavior and expectations for uh, the people working in God's presence than God has for the rest of the people. So a lot of these laws are similar to laws we've already read about yep. what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing, but the it's just at a higher level, right? And and so we should probably ask why. Why was, why is that? I was thinking about this because think about it. I haven't I keep forgetting that in the Holy of Holies, in the the the, the presence of God right. the, is the, the Ark, Ark of, the, of Co the Covenant. Yeah. And inside the Ark of the Covenant is the law. The yeah. Oh, the the two yeah, the, the tablets of the, the Ten two Commandments. The two tablets of the yeah. Ten Commandments that God actually wrote. 
Right. We're actually told God wrote it with his finger, with his finger or something, or, or his, something. His yeah. mind swords. <laughs> his mind swords. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you know, I don't know. I don't know what my chisels. I was like chiseling. Chisels. I, I like mind swords. <laughs> mind swords. It sounds like a really bad metal album. <laughs> mind swords. Mind swords. Or like a bad video game. I don't even know. Yeah. Either one. Anyway, it was an anthropomorphic way of talking about God writing. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so I thought about that, and it's like you are walking towards the thing that you don't live up to. Mm, right. I was like, and then, but like, you're also invited into it. So I kept thinking about like, whenever you see like a police officer on the side mm-hmm. of the road, you automatically check your speed. Even if you're cruise controlled at the right <laughs> speed, like That's I'm so still true. checking. I still like hit cancel and like my brakes right, hit right, on right, automatically. Right. Yeah. I know. It's like, I want to make sure that as I approach the authority <laughs> yeah. that I don't like, I'm not messing up. Or like right. uh, if you're ever invited into the principal's office, like I walk you in school, you would walk by the principal's office all the time. Yeah. And you it wouldn't, wouldn't matter. think about it. Until you're invited into it, especially if you walk inside of it. To receive an award? Well. Uh, <laughs> That's the only reason I ever went to the pr- – I'm just kidding. I, yeah, no, I totally – Did I tell you, you know when, one time? You know I, when you've done something wrong. Right. And then you're invited in. You're like, yeah. did, she, did she find out? Did she, she find t- out? She totally found she out. She totally found out. I was invited to the principal's office just one time. Just one time? Just one I time. I didn't even know they had principals in Scotland. Well, he was actually called the rector. Uh-huh. There we uh, go. <laughs> I knew there was some weird <laughs> Scottish thing. But he – I was – reading scripture at our assembly because it was like a traditionally Christian school, although okay. it wasn't really Christian, but I was reading scripture and I just wanted to put some like funk mm. to, <laughs> to, to actually like read scripture like with some life in it. Okay. You know, like as if it's a dialogue or anything. And so what did you do? And so I just did that. What? No, 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 no. What? No, no, no. <laughs> so the 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 deputy rector calls <laughs> what me. What are these names? <laughs> he calls me in. <laughs> Okay, we were playing cricket on the field, and oh, the deputy rector yes. called me in. Yes, uh, to you accost walked, me. You walked past the the Quidditch room. Yes, <laughs> so I was I was in obviously, I think Ravenclaw. So oh, I was right, yeah. coming in, and he um, said to me, "I was disrespecting the word of God by the way that I enlivened the text by like giving emphasis to different words." And so I was trying to do this, and he came from this really traditional background. So I was like, "Oh." Uh, I don't think I was doing that. And anyway, word got round to the rector. Yeah. So the rector called me to his office, and he just kind of patted me on the head. It's like, I thought what you did was great. Oh. He's a little traditional. Oh, don't worry that's about hilarious. it. <laughs> so, so the only time, so you, you, but when you approached the, the, the principal's office, did you have trepidation? I did. I was yes. like, oh my gosh. Right. I can't, what did I do wrong? Even like, though I didn't do anything wrong. Right. I was like, <gasps> yeah, All right. But then when you got there. You were absolved. I was there absolved. was atonement. <laughs> there was. <laughs> that's what, so anyway, so yeah, like, yeah. that's what I, I forget. Like you're approaching the standard that right. calls that's going to condemn you if right. you do it wrong. Both the standard that to which you're supposed to live up and the one who holds you accountable. Right. God and his law are right. in this place that you're approaching. So it makes sense yeah. that when you go into the Holy of Holies, you want to be at a higher st- you right. want to make doubly sure yeah. you've done nothing wrong yeah and that and it kind of fits too with we've talked about i think before these like circles of holiness right, right. and so in the very center of the tabernacle you have the holy of holies which is where all these things are the ark of the covenant ten commandments god's presence and then outside of it you have the inner parts which has like the showbread and the incense and 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 uh the the lampstand and then outside of that is the outer court, and you've, that's where the altar is, you know, a burnt offering, where normal people could come and offer their sacrifice. But the closer right. you get to the Holy of Holies, there's these concentric circles of holiness, and just as the sacrifices um, get more exclusive 
and just as the people who can administer administer them gets more exclusive. So like outer court, anybody, right? Right. Inner court, priests, holy of holies, high priest. Yeah. It's like the moral, like the moral code and the standard of living. Uh, standard of living. That's standard of living. That's wrong with also <laughs> high always very comfortable. <laughs> yeah. The standard of living in the Holy of Holies is just expensive. It's through it's the like, roof. Real estate there. There's only there's been one tenant the whole time. He never wants <laughs> it's to sell. Rent controlled. No. Okay. Anyway. So yeah, I I think we should get that picture. Okay, that's cool. So is that the only is that the only reason? I'm not like, trying to set up a rhetorical question here. I think that's the. The main reason yeah. that you're entering into the most concentrated place of the presence of God. Right. Um, and besides that, I think the other pro- part of it, too, is like the priests are representatives for the people. Yep. And they're also the moral exemplars for the people. That's right. People should be able to look to the priest and say, these are the types of people we aspire to be like. Because the hope of all people was to be in the presence of God That's one right. day. Yep. And so the people who are actually in the presence of God... It is not a wrong thing to say we should be like them in the hopes that we will one day be in God's presence. Yeah, I'm just thinking of the constant drumbeat of the last three chapters we've read has been be holy as I am holy, right? Like be holy as I am holy. Right. And then when we get to the priests, we don't really have that command anymore. Instead, we get repeated here uh, more than anywhere else in Leviticus that I am the Lord your God. And and, and, and so you, you kind of have this picture of like the priests are to be these holy like billboards and it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. like be holy as i am holy look at the priests they're super holy and that's because they are this like go between you know between yeah. god and people yeah. i don't know if i would draw those categories super distinctly like mm. be holy for i am holy and i am the lord your god i think they're in the same universe definitely of like it's yeah. like i am the lord your god be like me right <laughs> like don't don't be different right than the thing that you're coming to be one with mm. in, the, in the temple so yeah. anyway no i think that's good yep Okay, so now, so what are what are these higher standards of holiness, right? We've talked about that they exist, but what are they? So I guess first, what's the very first one is is about who they can go visit when they die. Yeah, so making yourselves clean or unclean um, based on the relationship that you had to that person. So if somebody dies and you touch them, you are ritually unclean mm-hmm. for a period of time. And so the priests were not to allow themselves to be un- made unclean by anybody except immediate family. And the high priest wasn't even allowed to defile himself with his immediate family. That's an interesting case study right there alone based on, like, why would the pe- all the people of God aspire to— Like, if these people are moral exemplars, mm-hmm. why would they aspire to that moment? You know, like, if your mother dies or your father dies or your right. child dies, like, it's natural for you to want to hold them oh, yeah. and to touch them and to carry them. You know, like— Right. So, like— Maybe maybe I'm blurring categories too much, but like, why is that something that would actually be ever be demanded, and why would the people want to look up to that as something that that's a good thing that he's doing mm, right there? I don't know if that's the right way to frame the question. Like that, the people would look to it and be like, "Oh, they're doing a good thing." Right. I think it might be that they're doing a pious thing, or like that they're pious doing a whole like, like a like a devout thing. Like these are devoted people. They're proving something by their actions. Right. They're they're sacrificing what is natural yes. to go and hug your mother as she's passing yes. away. And I think it's because there I think what what we should see here in the fact that if you're a priest, you you should not go to anyone's funeral, even if they're a close friend, unless they are a blood relative. And well, then if you're they don't go to the funeral, it just says don't touch them. I think it means don't go to the funeral. Oh really? In, in some of the literature I read, it was like you you don't go to these these places like you don't you don't help with the the preparations for burial you don't go near these dead bodies 
Uh, the only reason why I would say it's like it demands touching is because that's what it did. other parts of the law said like you when you touch them right. that's when you become unclean. I, I think another uh, and then f- when it talks about the high priest, it, it talks about how like not even your father, your mother, you, right. you know, uh, and and I think the dichotomy it it builds is because they have duties in the tabernacle, and so it's like. Is that saying right. just because like they need to stay clean, or is that also saying because there's other things to do? So don't like right. I think maybe even there's this like they wouldn't even go and, and because like they're not even supposed to mourn. They're not supposed to tear their clothes. They're not supposed to cut their hair. They're not supposed to. Which is why to Aaron didn't offer the sacrifice as exactly. mourning for his son, their sons. Mm-hmm. So then why do that? Why are you not allowed right. to engage in the grieving process yes. in the same way that the rest of the people are? Right. I think, well, one thing, and I think it's the main thing, is that they are supposed to put official duties before family duties. That, official sounds a little stale. Yeah, but, okay. What you're they're saying, supposed to, like, like God, they're supposed to God before family. Right. Yeah. They're supposed to put their allegiance to God before their allegiance to their family ties. Um, and I think that sounds like, kind of like what you said, like, well, when a... When a close personal friend or family member or, or father or a mother dies, it's natural to want to be there with them and to like grieve and right. you know bid them farewell and have yeah. that moment of cathartic release. Yeah. And here, God is forbidding that, and I think that um, doesn't sound fair or even right, unless God is offering something better. Right. Right. right, right. That that somehow being with Him, being devoted to Him solely, is better than the normal family ties that we have, that being tied to God is better than being tied to family. And Jesus says Jesus that. says this. And, yeah. and, and so I thought, I, I thought of three. Maybe there's more. Okay. But, uh, okay, so there's, who are my, I think it's in Matthew, I think, 12, that he says, like, who are my father and my mother? Or, right. Or, or, who, who, who's aren't my, yeah, these? Aren't these? In, who, who, who's my mother and who are my, my brothers and sisters? It's those who do the will of my father. He's putting allegiance to God, those who give allegiance to God alone, above the normal family ties of who physically gave him birth or right. who or his physical relatives. Yeah. Uh, and then you think of the the man who came in and said, uh, you know, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he's like, foxes have holes and the birds have a nest, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Uh, come and follow me. And he's like, well, let me go bury my dad first. Right. But this, that's like the yeah. very close parallel uh-huh. to what's and, happening And right he's here. like, leave the dead to bury, bury the dead. And, and he's like, devotion to family or devotion to God? Right. right. Um, and, uh, and then oh, I had one more. And I think there, that's interesting, because I've always heard that one, and it's not so much right. like, you must choose. Mm. It's like, there needs to be a disposition of your heart that says, if a choice comes between right. my fa- your family and God, right. you choose the Lord. Yes, and I think that's that's the, that's the third one that I've, is in Luke. Uh, I think it's talking about that disposition of the heart, is if anyone c- would come after me and does not hate his father, mother, brother, sister, he is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Right. And that doesn't mean you actively physically Well, no. We're supposed your... to love our enemies, right. let alone our families. Yeah. <laughs> it's that by, by comparison, comparison, your love for the Lord and your hatred of sin right, makes your affection for your family look like hatred. Right. And yeah. so what gives God the right here and Jesus the right in the New Testament to demand this kind of allegiance above standard filial allegiance? Like, what gives Jesus and God the right to do this? I am the Lord your God. <laughs> there it is. Like, I, mean, yeah, that's, right? I mean, that's the answer. Is it just, is it just rule? Like, like, that, like, like he just, has the right to do so because he is the Lord? Lord? The God. Yeah. The God. The God. Um, I don't ever hear that one. I hear the Lord. The Lord. The God. The God. The, I, hear, I hear the Hathaos. Christ. I hear the Christ. The God. But I don't ever hear the God. That's interesting. 
I mean, well, I wonder why. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> because we don't like the idea of multiple Elohim, multiple oh. cap, lower, lowercase g gods. We've talked, we've mentioned that briefly. Before. Um, I think that's part of it, and I think too, like if you are choosing as a priest not to enter into the normal mourning process in order to put yourself in the place of mourning over the sins of Israel, you're mm. communicating something very profound. Like there are greater threats mm. to the unity and the purposes of Israel than the death of family, but it's the wages of sin that are death. And these must be dealt with in order for God to com- continue to be with us. I don't know. I, I, that's no, what, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's really interesting. It's saying that like, you're going to go mourn and, and not, and not celebrate in a happy way, but commemorate right. this death that has happened. It's sad. It's terrible. It feels like your heart's been ripped out, but by the priest staying away from it and saying that there is something far greater going on. Uh, and it's in the death of these sacrificial animals is that day after day after day, the only reason you're not like your mom in the grave yeah. is because of what we're doing here. Yeah. Is that this is far more important because this is what keeps us alive. And like when Jesus demands total allegiance to himself, he's like, guys, there's physical death all the time. Like people f- people physically die all the time. And, and and Jesus obviously hates that. He died and conquered the grave to take that death away. Right. He's like, but there is an eternal death, an eternal separation, an eternal mourning, and I've come to deal with that. Right. And so allegiance to me is is far greater because I'm talking about you're going and spreading a message about eternal life. Yeah. That's that's which far is, greater than 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 physical which is death what is Jesus worse. Jesus will do when he resurrects people from the dead. He says, "Rejoice." Right. That Lazarus is raised from the dead, but rejoice, or like, or with demons, he says, rejoice that the demons are subject to you or, in your no, name. No, don't rejoice. Or don't, sorry, yeah, don't Luke, rejoice. Yeah, don't rejoice. But rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right. And even with Lazarus, it's like, let's celebrate. But the point of that miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead is that we will be raised from the dead when we put our trust in Jesus. Right. When, as he dies. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, I'm just, yeah, it, it is a crazy thing, though, that Jesus would just command, and maybe, maybe family for... Maybe this might be helpful. So, like, let's think culturally. So okay. both for Leviticus and for Jesus' time, um, one of the core identifying parts of your life was who your family was. Yeah. Right? Their social position, what their name meant in the community, right? Like, you lived with them uh, in proximity throughout you probably, your whole life. You were probably doing the same job your father did, uh-huh. right? Yeah. yeah. And so it's like who your family is is a really big deal, and I think – us in the West probably have a harder time making those connections. Like, yeah, I've loved my mom. Right. You know, but like, I'm not going to live next to her the rest of my life. <laughs> right. But she's not my identity. Yeah. Right. But here it's very close to your identity and to not be intimately involved in these processes. Right. Was, to not go to your mom's funeral would be hatred of yes, your mother. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And, but I'm, I mean, I'm we like, would yeah. still say that today. If you don't yep. go to your mom's funeral, like there's something wrong right. with your relationship yes. with your mother. I think what I'm getting at is the the center like cultural identifying factor of who we are might not be family, but it was back then. Right. And so that it wasn't necessarily that Jesus was just saying like I just want you to love me more than family. He was saying I want right. you to love me more than anything. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And so it might not be family for us. What could be more important than family? Right. Right. I mean, right. we would still say that like yeah, there's yeah, nothing yeah. more important than family. Right. We might even say there's nothing more important than love. 
Yes. And so like in who you love and the communities that you build around yourself. It's like, yes. Who do you love? Right. And what Jesus would say is, I don't care who you love. Mm-hmm. I care that you love me above those that whom you love. Yes. And that matters that we phrase it that way because when we put our, when autonomous individual self-expression expresses itself in loving relationships of all different orientations, mm-hmm. like you have to give up your loves for the love of Jesus. Right. And, and you could automatically feel the whip, the, like the, the, the kickback, uh, even about like, okay, so like, is God evil for not letting me go to my mom's funeral? It's like, no, he's not evil. He's worthy. Right. Like the only reason you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to your mom's funeral is if there was something that would just com- somehow more important that right. you just could not be there for it. And God is saying he is that more important thing. And so when it comes to autonomy, self-expression, orientation, and we feel like the laws that God gives us, whether they're about monogamy or homosexuality or anything like that, we want we'll say like, that doesn't seem. That doesn't I can't seem believe in fair. a God who would do that. Right. Who would demand that of me? And and his answer is, I'm. I, I promise, I'm worth it. Like right. I'm. Wor- I'm better than what you think will satisfy. I'm better than what you think is is your core identity. Right. Yeah. Whew. So, do you think Jesus was actually saying to that man, like, don't visit, don't go to your father's funeral? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of interpretations of that. People even talk about like. How, if we are a kingdom of priests, right? Yeah, like it makes sense that Jesus would say, "Okay, well, you still apply oh, to priests." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now applies to you. Do you think that's what actually was happening? It's quite possible, but I don't necessarily think that that this prohibition continues to us today as a kingdom of priests that we can't go to funerals or be coroners, right? You right, know, right. or uh, or med- medical examiners who do posthumous examinations what i just never mind <laughs> i just had, watched a whole thing about medical examiners oh, and coroners. Okay. <laughs> anyway so no i i don't know I, I think it was it was a heart disposition like you said originally like was like maybe maybe it did mean for him in that specific right. situation hey man let's go don't go back home right because like, who knew who knows how far he lived who knows how long that the 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 funeral would have taken it was about oh, right, 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 are right. you sold out for me or not right and like when I read it again yesterday, I was preparing for this. I was like, I wonder if his dad's even dead yet. Oh, like he right, might. Right, right, right. He might have. I gotta. I gotta wait till my dad passes away. Put my family in order. Maybe even instantiate my younger brother as head right. of household. Then I can come. I gotta get things in order. Right. Well, think about the disciples. Mm. Whenever Peter, James, oh. and John drop their nets. Yep. Like so. Just pause. Those nets would have been passed down for generations. Sure. To drop their nets is disrespect for mm. all their ancestors, yep. and it's an, an abdication of their responsibilities to their future children. Oh, right. Right? So yes. when they drop the nets and follow Jesus, it's literally leaving everything. Mm-hmm. It's leaving all ties to their family, not only disrespect, like they're disrespecting their elders and refusing to provide in a way that makes sense for everybody else for their future generations. They're leaving their families to follow Jesus. They choose relationship with Jesus, communion with mm-hmm. Jesus, being his disciples to, um, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah, to, <laughs> yeah. to follow him. Yeah. yeah, to be with him. And I think, again, I think as we wrap up this section, that like the drumbeat of this section I think that we've drilled down into is God is worth it. Right. Like he's better. The only way any of these laws could make sense, and then, then Jesus would then extrapolate them to not just apply to this one class of people who actually work in the tabernacle, but to the priesthood of all believers, is that the only way he could say, if you don't, if you fall after me and don't hate your mom, <laughs> right. the only way that is not the most 
evil thing that's ever been spoken is if he is surpassingly better, if he is worth it. Okay, but it's not only the um, like going to funerals or not, being around dead bodies or not, that separates the priests from the rest of the Israelites as a higher code. There's also stricter standards on who they can and cannot marry. Yeah. You and can't so, marry a prostitute, can't marry a, right. a, somebody who's been divorced, they yep. can't. Um, and, and obviously all the laws that have gone before, can't marry a sister, can't marry. Right, yeah. Uh, and especially the high priest has the most selective, like he can only he's only supposed to marry a virgin of his own clan. Uh, right. And like, and there's several reasons for that. Limits the dating pool. It li- yeah, it limits the dating pool a little <laughs> bit. And, you know, it also makes sure that whoever his firstborn son is, who will be the next high priest, right, <laughs> is his. You know, because right. if she wasn't a virgin, that first one that comes out... There's a chance There's a chance that it's not his. Know, right. Yeah, because they didn't have, you know, DNA testing back yeah, then. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Maybe if there was a, a one redhead in the dating pool, they'd be like, hold on a second. Wait a second. <laughs> but oh, other than that... <laughs> old Levi over here. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, like you said... The only redhead. The only redhead. Jew his name would definitely be Levi, too. It would definitely be Levi. Esau. Esau. Oh, yeah. yeah. Firehead. Yeah. Old, yep. Old fire. Old fire. Okay. Uh, but, you know, yeah, he, he's not supposed to marry a divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. None of these he's supposed to he's supposed to marry. Um, and and I'm just like and it says because he they would that would profane him and his, his offspring. And I'm just like, what? Why would that? Why would profane? that profane him and his offspring? What is profane? Yeah, I think that is kind of the 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 same idea that we've had with um, it's the making of something clean and it's making it unclean. So okay. um, when I when I hear profane, I have a much stronger category than like because like unclean and clean is like you touch a dead body or you go clean up your dog's mess outside in the backyard. You're unclean until the evening, you know. Oh, like you right. know, it's like that. Oh, when you become unclean, that's not always a big deal. We've talked multiple times that it's not necessarily a sin, an issue of sin. But profane feels like it's not just bad; it's profane. Mm, you know? So, like maybe it's something different than defilement. That's what I've. That's what I. That's why I read into it. So maybe yeah. that's my me, me reading too much into it. But yeah, I don't know. Let's find out here. So let's see. So that they might not profane the uh, his offspring or his people. So uh, let's see here. Profane. Oh, I'm trying to look at the root of it in the Hebrew. To be, it, it, yeah, to, it's it's looks like it's the same to be defiled by a reprehensible thing. So, it, so when I think when something's profane, and yeah. I think that's just the worst category, that's probably not the best yeah, way to think I, about I don't, it. It doesn't look like it. It's a really common word. Um, it's and, just a word that and we like don't use a lot of, and like a lot of its senses is to like dishonor, to defile, and we've read a lot about defilement in Leviticus so far. So it it might it might even be very similar to that. It's like you're going to make your bloodline unclean. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, but then well, I just, I could not escape this. And I just, I like, I'm just jumping to it really quick because I just could not escape this. That as I was reading these things yeah. and I'm, th- I mean, I'm already thinking about Jesus as our high priest because that's gonna, right, that's right. the main point we're going to make in this whole episode. We'll get there. But I couldn't help thinking about, okay, if Jesus is our high priest, he breaks all of these rules. Yeah. Right. Because, um, you know, so like Jeremiah three eight talks about how we're all divorced. 
God has handed us his handed Israel their certificate of divorce, and we've all abandoned, and them. we've all abandoned him and his covenant, and we've we've rebelled against him. Uh, Hosea and, makes that like explicit. Yep. And by marrying a prostitute yep. who decides to leave him, and then he remarries her. Exactly. And so not only like are we are like are are we supposed to see ourselves as the prostitute that God marries? You know, in Hosea, we're actually called all throughout the 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 uh, prophets prostitutes that we right. whore after other gods and we do we after other idols after ourselves multiple after... times in this passage it'll call say that we're whoring after other things yep and then uh we're defiled constantly uh in, in it's a good it's like good prophetic language too is that we've defiled ourselves with sin with other gods with foreign like foreign like people and that so we are divorced defiled prostitutes and yet we're the ones that jesus marries and i'm like the only way that this can happen and be okay, right? That he could just break all these rules. Right. Is if if what he does on the cross actually works. And mm, so it, it only yeah. like that he actually uh, like marries us and, and like cleans us up first and makes us pure virgins. Right. Right? That are absolutely clean and perfect. And that he actually doesn't just like wipe away the guilt of our defilement, but makes us undefiled. Right. You know, perfect. Uh, that that like somehow blots out the past prostitutions. Right. You know, and like then he can marry us because we are his perfect bride. And like and that's the picture we see of ourselves yeah. as the church in the that's New right. Testament is that we are the perfect spotless to put like bride the- of Jesus. Theological terms on it. Yeah. You have um, you have purification of sin or mm-hmm. forgiveness of sin. So it's like you were once defiled, unpure. Um, prostitutes yep and god forgives you he right. wipes Just, he justifies you he justifies justification you. Well, he white well not there yet okay well he justifies you he's like he makes you innocent he like takes away your sins he gives you a blank slate in one sense uh-huh. and then he gives you god's own righteousness right he imputes to you mm-hmm. god's righteousness justification or he calls you righteous yep and so that's what we're talking about but with just a different metaphor it's like mm-hmm. god takes away your sexual infidelity making you as if you were a virgin and then he marries you as your new husband your new faithful partner yeah Yeah. i just can't i just thought that was such a beautiful picture of like man the high priest would never be able to marry any of us you know and like but jesus can because he makes us new again yes anyway i just thought that was really beautiful okay so next the next the next category of like ways that separate the priests from the rest of the people is like it it's a little controversial, I think. You can't. You have to be physically whole, right? You can't be disabled. No deformities in any way. Yeah. And so, like, as soon as I was reading this, my first question was like, "What is the Lord's heart then towards the disabled?" Yes. Like, does He not see them? Does He see them as like unable to enter His presence? Like, what? Like, why? Well, one, why are these commands here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, what does that say about the heart of God? Right. Yeah. So why, and you've already kind of hinted at it here in, in, by using the word wholeness, right? is that God is concerned um, for his symbolic people, for these laws that he's having them carry out at, uh, for wholeness. Like we have, we have laws about like not making a garment out of two different kinds of material. Right. Why? That seems arbitrary. No, it's because it's all about wholeness and it's, right. it's oneness and it's complete and it's seamless, you know, all these things. And uh, don't sow a, a field with two types of seed. And it's like, why? 
wholeness, oneness, right. you know, completion, perfection, those kinds of things. That's the image that God wants to have on display. And if the priests are preeminently the physical embodiment of his character, of his holiness, of his oneness, of his, um, his unity and wholeness, then he wants his representatives, those who go, and we're, we're not talking, the ones we're talking about are the people who go out to the altar, take the offering and sacrifice it, they're the they're the poster boys, yeah, right of of the priestly system. He wants them to be perfect looking, to not right. have any kind of deformities. Like so, like no, so it's a it's an extension of the command: be holy, right? Because I am holy, I am perfect. So those who are blind, lame, have a mutilated face or a limb too long, an injured foot, an injured hand, a hunchback, a dwarf. Um, anyone who has a defect in his sight, an itching disease, scabs, or crushed testicles. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that, that's a lot of different things that you could be born with right. or could have happened to you to damage you physically for the rest of your life. And God says they cannot minister the, the sacrifices, administer the, the sacrifices. Right. They can still eat the food. So that's a can... very important point, is yeah. that God is not casting them out at all. In fact, like you've said, they get to eat the food that freely comes and they right. don't even have to do the work. So actually they get all of the benefit and none of the responsibility. Okay. They get all of the, like the, the status, they're still a part of the priestly order. They get to live where the priests live. They get to be called what the priests are called. They get to eat and be provided for as the priests eat and are provided for. The one thing they're not allowed to do is go out and do the work of the priest. So they get all the grace, right? Yeah. But have to do none of the work. Hmm. which I, yeah. I think is a beautiful picture. Yeah. And so before we make a jump, that's I think I, I'm like, oh, okay, we'll make that jump. But uh, I think the heart of right, God, right. It, I think what we need to see is that he's preeminently concerned about showing Israel that he is, that, that he is perfect and that like the, the ones offering the sacrifice on, on, on the, the worshiper's behalf are perfect. Because like right. you could wonder, if that's my go-between, is it going to fail? Like if a blind person is administering my offering is it going to be messed up right and uh and like the 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 prohibition i keep thinking yeah. my, i keep putting a christian hat on this and I, like a like a after jesus hat on this oh okay and I, i'm i keep thinking like well like one of the reasons why we i worship the lord now is that he uses unlikely people yes and i mean that's an old testament hat too like Big god time. uses the second born mm-hmm. not the first born right he uses what's weak to shame the strong and so part of me thinks that like wouldn't it be a greater de- testament to God's grace that the people who are administering those are those least, like, in that society, least able to, like, the least likely people to be going between man and God are these imperfect people. And so I want to say that, wouldn't that be a symbol of God's grace? Mm. Right? Because that's what I think about myself. Like, now it's like, I should not be able to enter God's presence and make demands or pray to him or be in the Holy of Holies. Yet he allows me to. Anyway, even uh, yeah. in the story of the gospel, when Jesus heals people, like uh, you're supposed to identify with the lame, right. identify with the blind, yes. because you can't see the Lord apart from him calling you. You can't walk without him raising you up. You can't live without him right. resurrecting you from the dead. I think there's a few things to consider here. One is that 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 even the priests later in Numbers start complaining that they have to do all the work. And so this isn't like necessarily like the best position that everyone wants to have is <laughs> yeah. it, like this is hard work in blood and guts this is a gross job i was thinking about uh first samuel when the ark is being 
trans oh, yes. second Samuel and every six steps David demands that they sac- make a sacrifice <laughs> on a 10 mile journey <laughs> Can you imagine how you'd be like, God, David, we hate you so much. <laughs> One, David is the two, worst. Three, four, five, six. Put the ark down, build a little altar, slaughter another lamb, oh my gosh. start another fire. Uh, not start another fire. They would be keeping the fire. They would keep the fire going. <laughs> but still, yes. it's a whole thing. You have to wait for right, the, the exactly. wood to heat up. You got to make yep. sure there's enough air in it. It's so a whole thing. It is. One, two, two three, three, four, five, five six. six. Do, Do it, it all again. again. <laughs> for si- ten, <laughs> ten miles? miles. <laughs> right. And so it's it's not this uh, high prestigious job. These people aren't allowed to own land, right? Yeah. They have to spend their time in blood and guts. And then the family members, the wives, the daughters, the sons that, that are unmarried, you know, and now the physically deformed just get to sit back and eat all the free food. Right. And so like- I'm I assuming th- they have other jobs, but- Yes, but I'm just saying, like, right. I, th- I, I, I don't think we need to see working the altar- as like this high desired station it's never presented as such mm. and so uh, the only time it becomes the high priest becomes a coveted position is in the roman empire when it's a figurehead position you know right. and and like and then it's bought by political offices like well Simony. i mean we've talked about like wanting to be in the presence of the lord yep and so that, that's one of the things that the priests get to do they get to work no, in the presence yeah. of the lord and the high priest gets the to high enter priest, yeah the presence of the lord right and so, uh, so I think that's one thing we need to remember is one that this is a hard job, and two that God is 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 not saying who gets to come near Him and not necessarily, right? We're talking about those who go to the altar. Worshippers could come to the altar, right? right. And and right, so like right, right. I mean, we're not talking about who gets to come near Him or not. That's true. We're talking about who's working at the altar. Who's who's the the gas station attendant? You know, like that's what we're yeah. talking. We're not like, it's like who can fill up their car. We're talking about who pumps the gas. And so, yeah. um, and so I think that in, in those who pump the gas, those who work at the altar, he wants to show that they are going to be a perfect mediator, that, that that is God going out there and accepting the sacrifice. Like they are God's representative. Right. And God is like, I'm perfect. I'm whole. I'm complete. And I want to be represented as such. And, and so I don't think it's, I don't think it has anything to do with God excluding these people because they're never looked down upon in this right. text. And that's helpful, too, because it makes a little bit more sense about what Jesus does in the New Testament. So the Holy of Holies becomes manifest, becomes incarnate, becomes a human being. And then when that that Holy of Holies walks around Israel and finds literally, I think, almost every category of these people, and he heals them, and he makes them whole. Yep. And he the presence comes to them. Like crippled people yes. tear apart the ceiling and Jesus heals them and he forgives their sins. Like yes. he finds lame people with crippled hands and crippled feet and he heals them. Zacchaeus is a dwarf. Like every, I, yep. the only one I couldn't find was crushed testicles. But one of the first things we hear about in the book of Acts As a eunuch. is the Ethiopian eunuch yep. who is opens the book of Isaiah and is saved and baptized. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, Jesus goes to all these people, and he is the perfect representative of God. He is the the only one who could actually be seen as whole, right? Like the priests were, were only representing. Right. Uh, he's actually perfect because he was actually God. And then think about this. Think about this that Jesus does. In, in the parable uh, in um, Luke 14, he, he tells this story about a wedding feast that he's throwing. He's throwing a banquet, right? right. right? Uh, a meal. And like we've talked about meals uh, here in Leviticus that... 
the 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 blind and the lame are allowed to eat the meal, right. you know. Uh, and Jesus is throwing a meal, and he's like, "Go invite people." And all the people have excuses, you know, like, "Oh, I I just got a new car," and no, you know, they yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to tend my field and everything like that. Uh, and he goes, "Great, go invite the poor, the blind, the lame, the deformed. Go get them off the streets and bring them in, right?" And so when Jesus throws a feast, who comes to the table? It's the poor and the blind and the lame. And it's like, it's the same thing that's happening here is they get all of the grace and have to do mm. none of the work. And like, that's us. We're poor, but we are physically unable to do the work that would allow us to come to the altar and offer a right sacrifice to God. And yet, what does Jesus allow us to do? He gets on the altar himself. He administers the offering himself. And then he allows those who could not even approach him to just sit back and eat the spoils at the banquet. Like, that's what Jesus does. And that's the gospel. All of the grace, none of the work. So what we should see here then is there's actually a very, there's a parallel section Mm -hmm. to all the commands of the priests and the types of offerings that are acceptable. Here's a list of what's acceptable behavior and expectation of priests. And then you have this whole section at the end of 22 about acceptable offerings. And the same thing is mentioned. You can't, they can't be crippled. They can't be miniature versions of the, right. can't be ponies. Right. They can't have crushed testicles. Like they need, right. the offerings themselves need to be perfect. Yes. And, uh, and that's because uh, for, for one reason I, I found really interesting. So, you know, in our, in our episode about clean and unclean mm-hmm. animals, and now we talked about how the clean animals were representatives in the animal kingdom of Israel. Right? right, so you yeah. can kind of see like clean animals equal Israel, yeah. unclean animals equal Gentiles, yeah. and then when Jesus comes, he he gets rid of that distinction, right? And so that's why the food laws change. But here we see that the sacrificial animals equal priests. Oh, so that's why yeah. they have the same the same kind of moral codes attached to them because the sacrificial animals are the priests of the animal kingdom. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's really. I read that in Winham this morning. I was like, that's. I mean, it's like. I'm sure I could read a lot more into that than I should. Oh, definitely. But like, it's really. I just think it's an interesting. What it helps, it gives me like, it just helps me fill out the imaginative universe of the Bible. It's like, the Bible has this imaginative universe of perfection and representation throughout everything. Everything represents somebody. Human beings represent particular human beings represent all people. Some human beings represent do the work of all the people, and even some animals represent. All, all the other animals. All the other animals, yeah. yeah. Which is an interesting thing to just think about, like, that is God also making, like, like uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking Theological for? Theological statement? No, sorry. Oh, is he doing mediation for the animal kingdom? You oh, know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Because even the animals were in a, now are in a broken relationship with one another and with us and well, with we the We know that the animals them. will be restored. Yes. Like, we will live on a new heavens yep. and a new earth, and even though this is kind of hyperbolic language yes but like the lion will lay down with the lamb mm-hmm. and, a and, a, child, and a kid will go hang out with a poisonous snake right it's like like the our relationship to the world in the world itself the animals themselves will be perfected yeah one day so it's just cool that the animals have a priest <laughs> i just think that's neat so yes uh the, the the animals that are brought to be a sacrificial offering have to be perfect um the like the in the only allowance that's made is um, if, if there's an animal that you have that has like one leg longer than the other, you know, and kind of walks with a like in a circle when a it limp. walks. <laughs> uh, My you, cow only turns left. God, is this one okay? 
He just keeps eating the grass in a circle. It's like I got crop cir- crop circles in my yard because of my my, my, my short legged cow. Uh, the only allowance for this is that kind of that kind of animal, and not the ones with the oozing sores right. or just the just the short legged cow. <laughs> only they could be offered as a free will offering, which is not any of the atonement sacrifices. The, right. Those don't do anything with atonement. They're all about just like man, God, I wanted you to have this. Yeah. Here, this is for you. And God might be like, well, thanks for the short leg cow, but, well, you know, okay, thanks. <laughs> but, why? I wonder why that one gets a pass on the Thanksgiving. Oh, uh, wait, what? Like, you, the short leg cow is allowed for the Thanksgiving oh, offering. Yeah, why? I, I think because it doesn't make atonement. But then why not use any of the other blemished animals? Because they're all called blemished animals. Uh-huh. And none of them can be used except this one. Oh, I think because its its blemish is is less, I don't know, like horrifying. <laughs> like, it's not... It's not like an oozing scab. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's just limping. Yeah, it's, it's just, just got a limp. I wonder, too, if... It's got one leg shorter than the others. I'm also thinking, like, okay, well, one, only got four legs. It's like doubles the opportunity to have a limp in an animal. <laughs> I just, like, wonder. Is, I, I'm not a farmer. I don't know how many animals are born with one one or two short right, legs. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Is it a particularly how common? How common is this? Maybe it is. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's, like, four of them. Right. There's, like, a lot of opportunity. Yeah. But you think... Okay, so let's think about this. There's, there's a lot to unpack here, actually. You might be like, this is weird, but there's actually a lot going on. So, so one, we need, we need to remember the kind of economy that Israel was in, right? They are largely agrarian. You know, yes, there are going to be some people who work in, in like, clo- clothes making, right, clothes making, or, you know. Even that's dependent on like, animals. And right. it's subsistence, meaning, like, you not really, you don't have a savings account. Yeah, no savings account, no Roth IRA or 401k yeah. or anything like that. It's day-to-day kind of thing. And so uh, your animal, and animals were expensive. I mean, they were like the literal cash cow, you know? <laughs> you hated that. I'm okay with it. Um, and, and so to, to, to give up an animal um, for nothing, you know, like literally just to sacrifice it, right. was so insanely, bafflingly expensive to do. To then give up the best of the, the best. best of the best not only is utterly expensive, it also um, prohibits your future because what you do in breeding practices is you take your best and you mate them with your best. Right. And you create a great, like, healthy, strong line. Yeah. And so you would you don't mate deformities with deformities right. because you're going to have just weird little offspring calves that just, you know, can't even walk. And I'm so, imagining a cow with the two the front right leg and the back left leg as really long. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the, the other diagonal. Just dangling. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just, anyway. like a table you can't get to stop wobbling. <laughs> <That's exactly right. laughs> and um we, there, there are animal sensitive people out there who are like stop, stop. it. <laughs> so we, we're sorry. I feel bad saying it out yeah, loud. You should, but you're horrible. It might, that was where my mind went. Uh, but anyway, uh, and so like this is just insanely costly. It costs their present. It costs their future. It costs their past. This is a very costly thing. So it, I think that's the first thing that we should notice here is that sacrifice in the Levitical system was a costly thing for the worshiper, right? It was it was expensive. And uh, and I think that is meant to um, communicate something yeah. that 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 sin and uncleanliness, like they ev- they invoke a cost, and it should be your life, right? And that's an expensive price to pay, right? And so I've I you can't just come and bring me a blade of grass and throw it on the altar and think, and then you'd know you'd be atoned for it because you'd have no cognitive would, category for right. what you deserved. But whenever you look at your prized lamb 
that would would have been the greatest like line w- for Wagyu, your future Wagyu yeah. beef, <laughs> <laughs> and you put it on. You're like, man, I this, I really messed up. Like I right. really deserved something terrible. Right. Yeah. Or like the Lord sees what I've done as. Mm-hmm. The Lord sees what I've done is costly. Yeah, I think that's right. really helpful. Because yeah. like I think for me, it would be probably hard. I was like, I don't think I'm as bad as all this. Yes. Because like I'd be, yes. I, I'd bring my offering and it'd be like, I don't think this is really what my, what my sin demands. Right. But apparently the Lord does. Yes. I didn't know my uncleanliness was. I don't think my uncleanliness is really this costly. Yeah, like it's not that big of a deal, right? Wagyu steak costs like a hundred dollars an ounce, right, or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. It is. Yeah, I don't actually know. It's I don't definitely eat, not that much. I don't <laughs> eat wagyu steak on the regs, <laughs> on the but, regs. But like to like place mm-hmm. a whole side of beef, Ugh. yeah, it'd be like I don't really think, mm-hmm. but the Lord does. Yeah, and you're able to see, oh, this is how God views sin and uncleanliness. Like, so I was reading John Owen. He says the same thing about Jesus. It's mm-hmm. like we don't see our sin. As costly as right. the Lord does, mm-hmm. but the Lord sees it as so costly, He recognizes the need to sacrifice mm-hmm. Himself. Yes, and like if the Lord won't even spare His own Son, right? How much more will He not spare us? Right. Like like yep. He does spare us because of His Son, yes. but like if that's what it demands, mm-hmm. what must my sin feel like? Right. And if the Lord is willing to punish his own son, will he not most certainly punish the world? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it adds like, weight. It, it adds, it adds weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that he he gave the first fruits of heaven, the best of heaven's flock himself. Yeah. He didn't give Gabriel or Michael or a cherubim or a right. seraphim or anything like that. He He gave himself. It was the best that heaven had to offer. Without spot or blemish. Without spot yeah. or blemish. Yeah. Uh, okay. So not only is the sacrifice costly, there's also like a reason, a ritual reason why the sacrifice has to be perfect. So why does it have to be <laughs> ritually perfect? Um, yeah. So I think it's because the, uh, the offerer, the worshiper coming with the sacrifice is not perfect. They are atoning for their imperfections. Right. And so the sacrifice has to have the quality that they do not have. Perfection, spotlessness, yeah. blamelessness, purity, life. life. Right. And so they're trading that, you know, for themselves. And so they're saying that like I'm putting my imperfection on this perfect offering and its perfection is coming onto me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what Leviticus calls purification. Yeah. Right. And so it, it its blood then is allowed to purify me. Now if yeah. it was if it was spotted or deformed or imperfect, its blood would do imperfect spotted right. I want to make a we we keep using this language like like that's like it would make symbolically oh right because I think one of the things that I even get trapped into thinking is that the Hebrew people thought that there was something special and magical about these transactions that when they offered them they were automatically absolved that's not what's happening these are symbols for life these are symbol symbolic representatives of the animal kingdom and of the nation of Israel. And it's by their trust in the fact that God has ordained these means that they are saved. Right. Because I just want to make sure we say that because I think I've had a lot of confusion over the course of my Christian life because I keep thinking like, man, well, why was blood so, why was blood so important then? Mm-hmm. And it's not important now. It's like, well, the blood had, or, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah you, you gave yeah. me a look. I but did. like, uh, the, the point is like 
the whole system has always been based around trust. Uh-huh. God has ordained and chosen these particular means and these particular symbols that when you faithfully, trustingly execute them, that God will purify you and God will save you, right? Like, Close, I think. Okay. I think it's part of the story. Okay. I think we need to we need to make sure what we say is that that because a lot of people say that these are symbols, right? right. Uh, and it ends there. And if that's so, then it's it's really easy for the cross to start to erode into a symbol, right? And so the, the what these sacrifices symbolized was not only that God had prescribed a system. It wasn't just trust in a system that God had prescribed. Um, the reason why God validated the system and looked at it and said, this is the system I want used is because of the ultimate sacrifice that would be made that would actually purify their sins, right? Because right. in Romans 3, we read that before in, in, like before Jesus came, God had left sins unpunished right. so that he might store all the punishment for sin up to be poured out on Jesus, yes. the actual one who bore the actual wrath of God, right? Right. Because the, the, the blood of goats and bulls cannot take away sin, and so as what, Hebrew says. What's happening here, then, is a Hebrew person coming and offering a sacrifice knows that this is a symbol, and they know that it's not enough. I don't know. You don't think... I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think so. You don't think they knew I, no. that the blood of bulls and goats was not enough to cover their sins? No. N- well, I don't know if that's the case. I, I just... I don't know if they thought of it as a symbol. Because th- why would, why, then why are they going out and sacrificing the goat demons thinking it's going to achieve something? I, I think, and like this is part of their culture. Like this is like, this is something that a lot of cultures practice. Like sacrifice was something that was necessary right. in order to relate to the gods. Right? I agree with you. This, this is more than a symbol. Yeah. It is symbolic, but it is more than a symbol. In the same way that a lot of Jesus' miracles were miracles, but they were more than miracles. Right. Like they were actually... The end is in Jesus. Yes. And the sacrificial system is training and guarding and tra- like getting people to start thinking about a future salvation that will work completely 100%. I think the Hebrew mind knew that the sacrificial system was incomplete and insufficient to do what they needed to do because it needed to be done day after day, which is exactly what the author of Hebrews says. But when I eat, right, I don't think of a meal as incomplete because I have to eat again. Like, just because I do something every day doesn't mean that what I'm doing is ultimately going to come to an end. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not thinking of a final and full meal that will make me never have to eat That's again. what Jesus says. Yeah, but they don't know Jesus yet. Right. <laughs> I just say, like, I think for the Hebrew mind, why else are Jews dying to get back into the temple? Because they want, like, they want these sacrifices to continue. Like, they need propitiation. Like, they need atonement. Like, right. And they know that this is the closest... Thing that they have, right? But they also know that it's not enough. That's my only point. I don't know if they, I don't know if they knew is because if you look at the rest of the Old Testament, what I feel like the opposite unfolds is that not only do they think it's enough, they think it's more than enough. We can come offer our sacrifices. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as Jeremiah right. seven says. The people were banking on the sacrifices that happened in the temple to cover even more than Leviticus says it will cover. To do even more to yeah. to, to to forgive murder. And unjust practices in business, like they think it's even greater and stronger and more powerful. So I don't think they thought it was it was insufficient. I thought I think if anything, they leaned in it, into it being overly sufficient. Right. And so I I just don't I don't think that the Hebrew mind saw this as a just a, a symbol that was waiting for fulfillment. 
Like I just I no, I think I'm saying like okay. that's what you're supposed to see. Oh yes, as yes, we are supposed to exactly see that. Right. But you keep saying the Hebrew mind. Right. Well I like I think there was misunderstandings. Oh yes. I think and God that, wanted the Hebrew mind to see this as an insufficient system. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I thought you were like, like the Bible yes. is giving you an giving the Hebrew people an insufficient system. Yes. And there were faithful Jews who knew that. Not all of them knew that. Yeah. But there were faithful Jews who did know that. And yeah, part of the problem yes. within Israel is that they keep misplacing their trust in the system yes. or in the external external acts rather than the heart, which is the book of Isaiah. Right. Like, yep. I don't care about your new festivals. I don't care about your sacrifices. Exactly. Like, yeah. The, the, the po- on, yeah, the only way a, a prophet could have ever said, like, I despise your sacrifices away with me, away from the, is if they knew that this wasn't it. Right. Right. So that's my point. Like I, yes, absolutely. The the heart of the remnant of Israel knew, like which and I mean by remnant, I mean the people that were truly Yahweh fearers. Yes. Knew that this was an insufficient system. Right. And the problem was that people kept going off in either one of two directions. Either they said it's more significant than it is, and they focused on the external things of the sacrificial system mm-hmm. to save them. Right. Or they started abandoning the law of God yeah. so and we doing whatever they wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is the same thing that happens today. <laughs> yes. We have Jesus uh-huh. and his sacrifice is to, is actually enough for us. Yes. But our hearts are the same as the Old Testament Israel. We either say, actually, let's just focus on the externalities of what Jesus told us to accomplish, like social justice, being kind and being loving. We don't need the sacrifice We don't anymore. need the sacrifice. We don't need the blood. Yeah, we can clean ourselves up. We can clean ourselves up. Or they say, actually, none of it matters and we can live how we want because because there's a sacrifice. Yeah, for there's us. sacrifice for us. We, yeah, it doesn't matter how I live, you know, because you know there's grace. There's right. grace for that. You know, I'm I'm only human. There's grace for that. Yes. Yeah. So it's the same heart. It's true. Just fast yeah. forward a it's, couple that's really, years. Yeah. And so uh, we we kind of got into this by talking about the perfection of the offering. Yes. And uh, the that reason was a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, I liked it though. Uh, the reason why we need a perfect offering is because we need perfection. The reason why we need a pure offering is because we need purity. And so when Jesus comes, he is seen both as the perfect priest without deformity, right, who perfectly intercedes for us, who's allowed to go to the altar, which is now the cross, um, because he is without spot or, or blemish or deformity. He's the perfect priest. But he's also the perfect sacrifice, right? He's also the perfect victim. He is, he yeah. is spotless, blameless, the best that heaven could give, um, the spotless lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Like, he's also that. And the reason why, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the reason why these animals were supposed to be spotless and blameless is because they were foreshadowings and forerunners to Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb who doesn't just symbolically give us his perfection and assuage our guilty Swage. conscience, right? Yeah. He actually gets rid of our sin and actually through his Holy Spirit living in us can topple the towers of guilt that we've built up in our minds um, and actually give us a clean conscience like that Peter talks about. Right. Yeah. So it's it, like we need a perfect sacrifice because I need to be able to look at Jesus and, and I, I need to be able to read the Gospels and see his perfect life. And I need to read that that he is God incarnate and know that he is the same God of the same God, you know, that came in yeah. the flesh and say, his perfection is mine. Right, because, like, let's go back to the, how we started. When you're walking into the law and the one holding you accountable to the law, mm-hmm. you feel the weight of that. Yeah. And then you 
knowing that this is an insufficient system and knowing that you are an insufficient person, you begin to realize the only way that I could actually come into the Lord's presence, sit next to the law, is if I actually God himself. Mm-hmm. If like what mm-hmm. God requires is actually in me. If it's what I do and who I am. And in Jesus, we get precisely that. He is the sacrifice who is actually God and who gives what is actually God's into us. It becomes ours. So much so that when we walk into the Holy of Holies, when we come near to what holds us accountable and the one who um, gives accounts, (laughs) we can go boldly before the throne of grace because the sacrifice has already been offered. And now... We make requests. Before in this whole situation, God is the one making requests. Do this, do this, do this, do this, if you want to be my presence. But now we go boldly into Mm. the presence of the Lord. And now we say, Lord, could you do this? Could you do this? Would you do this? Right. In the name of the Jesus who purchased it for me. That's amazing. Amen. And it's because we've been made into something new, right? We've been made like God. And I just can't help but think, you know, we've, we've had this language of purity and like spotlessness and we've also had these categories of like the what does what what what's the priest's bride look like? Who can she be? Who can she not be? Uh, she has to be a virgin and you know holy and blameless. And like when we read um, like Ephesians five or we read Revelation nineteen or twenty one, we see these pictures of the church as the bride of Christ, without spot or wrinkle or stain. And whenever, whenever we come to God's presence in the new heavens, the new earth, like, or in the Holy of yeah. Holies, like you just kind of painted this word picture for us, the reason we can come in is because we're, we're Jesus's wife. Mm, we're, right. the, we're the high priest's wife. Like we, right. We're allowed to go in because we are one with him. You'll notice in, in Leviticus 21 that the, the, that the priests, um, when they talk about whose funeral they can go to, uh, it, ta- it, it talks about almost everybody except their wife. And it's because it's assumed that um, that they can go to their wife's funeral because they are of one flesh with her. Oh, right, and, right. And, and so, I yeah, think about that. Uh, and so, in Ezekiel, this gets picked up in Ezekiel twenty-four. Whenever God wants to extrapolate, like Ezekiel as this preeminent priest for the people, right. where he says, "Don't even mourn for your own wife," like oh. because he finally breaks this unspoken law. And, uh, and it makes him an exception of all exceptions. Right, because... Right, and so why can we go into the Holy of Holies? It's because we're one with the high priest. Mm. Like, we are his wife, and so we get to be where he is. And and like you said, now we get to make requests of him. Hu- husband, lover, Yeah. can can you can you bring me a cup of water? <laughs> like, I don't know. And so anyway, it's it's really right. amazing. It, this is... Will this you is, provide this, my daily bread? Will, will, you you provide, forgive, yeah. will you forgive my sins? Yeah. Like, and it's direct. Like, you don't need a sacrifice to forgive your sins anymore. Right. You don't need a sacrifice to protect you from the evil one, to cast away the goat of Azazel. Yeah. You just... Re- and so I just think it's really good for us to think about when we when we read this stuff in Leviticus about perfect offerings and no deformities and not being blind or not being lame or not having anything wrong with you, God is trying to create a conceptual category for you to see yourself. That no matter what physical ailment you might have, no matter what history of sin you may you may have gone through, like God has made you perfect. Mm-hmm. He has made you without deformity, without blemish, without any stain or past record. He's made you perfect. And the reason he's done that and the way he's done that 
is through being the perfect offering for you, giving you his very self so that you can have his very perfection. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit spokengospel.com. Thank you.